What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. everyone welcome to the ringer gambling show this is the championship weekend edition mr house and there's nobody we would rather break these games down with than you as we're picking your brain trying to get some of the bets that you're looking at and talking you out of some things potentially i'm really looking forward to the show i'm really looking forward to this weekend's games how much are you anticipating this weekend mr house Sharpie, I'm I'm here to tell you I'm finally recovered. It only took, I don't know, five and a half days of uh the hyperbaric chamber, of of hydration, <laughs> of you know, antioxidant uh salad cons- consumption to to come back from what we were subjected to last week. You know, I, I'm not a, a spring chicken any longer, and we had action across the board all four games last week now quite a bit of it came through a lot of the stuff we talked about last week um delivered for us i know that you are are on a heater continue to be on a heater i had to scrape and scratch a little bit because the tennessee titans um really broke my heart last week they really upset me i had so much uh, respect for vrabel I had so much anticipation. They enjoyed the bye week and then came out with a game plan that was basically like, hey, Cincinnati, we know you've never in the history of the franchise ever won a road playoff game. We're here to deliver something. And you know what? All of those fans from Cincinnati that traveled to Tennessee, they showed up, they showed out. And last week I was talking about Joseph Burrow. I wanted to show him a ton of respect. I feel like I did show him a ton of respect. I didn't show him enough respect, Sharpie. Joseph Burrow is here. I'm knocking on wood. Let that guy be upright. Nine sacks, 11 sacks if you count the two uh, that were um, disqualified by way of delay of game penalties. Let's keep Joe Burrow upright, please, dear God. So that's where I'm at, Sharpie. So here's the thing. You know, we were talking in the pre-show, and I definitely, like, this is kind of a teaching moment or just a general discussion moment because we got so many people who listen 
to the Ringer Gambling Show. And we got so many new people, House. A lot of people tell me each week how much they love the show. It's climbing up the charts. I know how popular this show is, guys. And that's why we keep trying to deliver great information for you. A lot of you guys, though, are new to betting, maybe within the last couple of years. Uh, And, you know, the one thing, House, it's money management, it's bankroll management. And I, like you, liked Tennessee last week. I, like you, bet Tennessee last week. And I, like you, lost on Tennessee last week. But for me, from the sounds of it, it was just one loss in like a weekend filled with winners that I did not go overly hard on. I just bet, I'm, I tend to flat bet things. So that was a one unit sized bet for me. So based upon my bankroll, it's a one unit sized bet. And in the playoffs this year, I'm 10 and one in bets that are 0.75 units or higher. So I didn't go over the top heavy on it. And I was pissed off about it. And we're going to talk about the game momentarily because we have to, as we're breaking down this chiefs Bengals game, which is the first one on deck here for us. But my opinion is unless you have that rare instance where you think you've got some sort of a secretive edge, you've got information that the market doesn't have, which we sometimes do. You've got an analysis or an idea of what a coach is going to do or injury information that maybe nobody else out there has. Thus, you've got a bigger edge in this game. That's when you could go higher than, you know, your one unit sized or you step out and you make this like one of your strongest positions of the, the, the single season or the last couple of years. But unless those circumstances and those things align for you, you need to be sticking to strong bankroll management such that This Titans loss obviously sucked, but when you're winning tons of other bets this week like we did, it becomes water under the bridge very quickly. And you never forget big wins or annoying losses, but it's not something that will dent your bankroll too badly. And so that's just my suggestion in the future. Like I agreed with you and we're going to break down this game, you know, like I said in a second. But the funny part about this is, as great as Joe Burrow played, as you just mentioned, and as incredible as he performed and survived all the sacks and all of those types of things, I mean, this literally is a game that the Tennessee Titans are sitting at third and one on the Bengals' 35-yard line, down only three points, driving for a tie or a win, and they completely fuck up the play calling. And that's despite Ryan Tannehill throwing three interceptions, playing like a dumbass, despite the worst singular offensive game plan strategy by any offense coordinator I can remember in my recent memory. And they were still in this game. So I I think that that does not bode very well for the Cincinnati Bengals this weekend. Um, But I'm looking forward to breaking down this game with you. Yeah, it's funny. Um, that the, the reason that Tennessee had an amplified impact on my bankroll is because I played their money line and the spread in kind of my normal quantities. I didn't go extra heavy, but I did put them into a bunch of combination bets, and that's what had the ampli- amplified effect. And you've recommended against that, and I've heard your, your good um, cautions uh, around that, but I just you know like to bet how I like to bet. Now, I did have combo bets that, that, that came through over the course of the weekend, that did sort of track um, what we talked about on on the show. 
San Francisco, um, t- you know, teased up with uh, the Rams. San Francisco teased with the Bills. The Rams and the Bills um, teased. It was a, an incredible underdog weekend um, across the board until Sunday night, which was going to go down as one of the most fun games to watch uh, of, of in the modern era. I don't know, you know, the hyperbole all week about that Bills Chiefs game has been sufficiently um, pushed out by all the pundits. Um, so I don't need to, to jump in there. I just enjoyed that game very much. I would have preferred the Bills to win both from a narrative perspective because of, of this, what Buffalo has gone through um, because of Josh Allen's arrival on the scene, you know, a whole bunch of reasons why I preferred the Bills, but I absolutely love the Chiefs being in this position. I think it's the case. I saw this across the research. They are the the first team in in NFL history to host four consecutive championship games. I believe I saw that. Yep. Now there have been teams that have played in consecutive championship games where they're the first to host. Patrick Mahomes, the, the the modern era goat. I mean, you know, tough tough to argue it. So I couldn't. We're set up. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I I couldn't I couldn't get myself invested on a side in that Bills game. Um, I, I did personally get involved in a in a Sunday teaser like you did, I think, with the Rams and the Bills. Uh didn't ship that to clients. Like that was, you know, I'm I'm we bet a lot of things my group does that we don't end up shipping out. And, you know, we, we but we try to focus on like some of the strongest things to send. Um and so I just couldn't I I was already so emotionally invested in hoping that the Bills won that game for personal reasons that um I knew I liked the over. I was heavy on the over there and um it's crazy house, you know, this 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 postseason usually you know because we talk about it on the show and you're betting this stuff earlier in the week when I'm giving out an over or an under from a to- from my totals model like the line is not available on Friday when we're recording these. So on Tuesday or Wednesday or Monday when I'm shipping it and we're betting it, that line is is two points different than, you know, when we're talking about it on Friday. And so the discussion on Friday is like, should we still take it? The stuff in the playoffs, a couple of big totals that I've gone on, like that stuff has still been available on Friday. That the people have somebody was has disagreed. And guess what? Too bad for them. Right. Like I'm telling some of the some of the guys that I'm working for, it's like it's like um, it really hasn't gone well when people have bet against us this postseason. Um, You know, if that number is still available on totals and I'm continuing to go in and bet alt things on it, like I saw 26 and a half pop on the first half total. I bet the over 26 and a half, which one Uh, I saw 53 and a half pop. I bet the over on 53 and a half last week um, when we bet 54 and then it came back down to 53 and a half. Like I bet that too. So all this stuff keeps winning. All those guys keeps losing Uh, too bad for them. Um, So let's dive in. I I do want to say one thing. Sharp 150 gets you 150 off. That's all I'll say. If you want to go and dabble, we've never done $150 off. We'll give you $150 off this week. So that being said, let's dive into the first game of the weekend house. It's the Cincinnati Bengals. They are currently catching a juiced seven, which means the Chiefs are laying seven minus 20 at most spots now. 
It's seven and a half at a couple of very sharp shops that if you've been betting for a while, it should mean something to you as to what the number that these particular books are hanging because it's important to study the numbers that certain books are hanging. Um, Other spots at seven minus 20, which means you get plus money if you're taking the Cincinnati Bengals. You get reduced juice if you're taking the Cincinnati Bengals, depending upon where you're booking. And the total right now sits at 54 and a half. I don't know. Some some books opened this thing. I saw it like 50 and a half. I don't know what the fuck they were thinking. Uh, that that got gobbled up very quickly. Uh, 54 is at most spots op- open and got bet up to 54 and a half. So Talk to me. What are you thinking right now? Side total. I want to know what you've bet what your logic is of those bets and then you know what you might be contemplating betting. Yeah, we'll 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 go through it, but let's let's kick off the way we always do, which is an up to the minute rundown of what the weather forecast looks like and and what the injury situation looks like. You shared with me on the pre-show, it looks like favorable weather situation there in Kansas City. It looks gorgeous for Kansas City. You know, the next game's going to be in a dome, so let's give you the up to the second weather. I pull up my trusty app here and I get to share with you that we are looking at temperatures that are 47 degrees at kickoff. It will get up to 48 degrees before this game ends. Um it's going to feel like those same temperatures. Why is that? Well, because there's no wind. We're talking Two to three mile per hour winds over the course of the game with gusts of four miles per hour, which basically means we are in for a beautiful day. It's going to be clear. It's going to be sunny when this thing kicks off house. Um, Hopefully the shadows won't wreak havoc with uh, some of the receivers and the sight lines of the quarterbacks or anything like that. So be aware. Sometimes, Sometimes I actually prefer house overcast. Uh, because I don't want the sun interfering. Other times you have a, a fucking bumbling idiot owner who builds a stadium that is in a <laughs> dome, but yet it has sun coming through windows that blinds the players. Um, I'm speaking to you, Mr. Jones, but this game looks to be perfect weather conditions. And injury-wise, I think we're the only guys that we're really monitoring are... On the Kansas City side, am I right? We have we, Honey Badger, um, Tyron Matthews, questionable, but he was a full participant in the practice yesterday. Yeah, very important, full, full participant. Daryl Williams was uh, limited. Um, I don't even know if he if he's an, even a factor at this point well, in that's, time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. What about on the Cincinnati side? Cincinnati's in good shape. They're they're in good shape. I mean, we knew that. They were going to be without uh, their key run stuffer in Larry Ogunjobi. He's still out. Other than that, uh, secondary players and all the receivers, you know, their their lines are still not at 100% from two games ago or from earlier in the season, right? They had cluster injuries on their O-line that they've already tried to replace. And, you know, we saw how that went last week against the Tennessee Titans. Um, But that, that is not anything new. Um, and Larry Ogunjobi hurt himself at the end of the regular season. So that likewise is not anything new. Okay. So it seems like we're going to get um, pretty good versions of these two teams. And the weather is not going to have any outsized adverse impact. And so it could be go, go, go. If you're favoring the over, that could be a, a, a reason to, to jump in. You know, the, the injuries and the weather aren't going to get in the way of it. Um, 
I'll tell you one thing that I spent some time on research-wise, looking at this game and sizing it up. I wanted to know more about the referee situation. And the reason I was interested in the referee situation is because it was, it is my contention, my belief, that the referees played an outsized role in determining the outcome of the Week 17 matchup between these two teams. And doing a little bit of the research, one of the things that I encountered was this little factoid, which is that Week 17 um, at Cincinnati, the the Chiefs uh, Bengals experienced the highest number of unscheduled referee substitutions of the entire year. And in fact, the head referee was substituted out. It was supposed to be John Hussey, and instead Ron uh, Torbert was was brought in. Now, the NFL, in its infinite wisdom, will not and does not disclose why, but I assume it's COVID, right? You, if you get three members of the crew plus the head referee swapped out last minute, there's got to be a reason. I don't think they all came down with the stomach bug. Maybe they did. But we know from what happened in that game that that referee crew played a role in determining how that game went. Now, one interesting factoid that relates to Ron Torbert, he has the third highest percentage of games where the home team gets favorable calls. At the outcome, at the, at the, at the end of the game, when Ron Torbert referees, when you sit and look uh, at how many penalty calls a team got, the home team in his games tend to get the benefit of the doubt. And in fact, we saw that in this game. The Bengals had 23 first downs in that, in that matchup against the Chiefs last, last, last time. Six of those first downs came by way of penalty. And on top of that, there were three defensive pass interferences, all on third down. The Bengals, otherwise on third down, were four of 10 in third down conversion. But they got three conversions by defensive pass interference. And I think that that had a pretty sizable role. Now, the, the referee set up for this coming matchup is Bill Vinovich, I believe, who rates as uh, a referee that calls the fewest number of penalties in the NFL. And I think, again, if you're inclined, now hit, hit, Vinovich games, for whatever reason, tend to go under. You can look at the research and see. I, I like the combination of a referee crew that's disinclined to call penalties and um, this weather situation to favor and over. The, the other thing that I'm interested in your reaction to, I feel like many of the observations we made about the vulnerabilities of Cincinnati, particularly on the offensive line, they apply equally to this week. And it took, from my perspective, um, an active accomplice in the form of Todd Downing and Ryan Tannehill to sabotage the advantages that Tennessee had. Like we just talked about, Tennessee had 11 sacks last week against uh, Cincinnati. I see no reason why the Chiefs are not going to be able to bring that same pressure. And at some point, that pressure, I think, is going to translate into turnover success and also you know, potential um, impact on, on Joe Burrow. He can't keep getting knocked down 
and then jump right back up. I know he's a kid. I know he's tough as nails. I absolutely love and respect Joseph Burrow. But at some point, there's got to be a bill to pay when your ass is on the ground that number of times. So I like the Chiefs. I like the over. I'm playing the Chiefs um, uh, money line. I'm playing them on the spread. I'm playing the over. And I'll tell you in a second my favorite bet of, of the whole weekend. Um, I, I, it, it involves San Francisco. So we'll, we, we can wait for that. Uh, or I can tell it now. I mean, I'll, no, I'll, no, I'll let's, let you let's, go let's build the crowds in anticipation. Let's keep them stuck okay. around for longer. They need this gold, too. <laughs> what are you, 13 and 13 and what you say? Six? 13 and 7 in 13 my best and seven bet. So on these, 65% so. hit rate. Pretty good. So the, the, this guy is on point. And you know what else is on point, House? That analysis that you shared on the referees. Uh, very proud of you because discovering underlying context in games is quite valuable uh, when we only have two games left to break down and everybody ends up talking about the same type of things. Um, and when you hear shit on Sports Center, guaranteed that type of stuff gets incorporated into the number, all the betting public is, is thinking about those things. And so the goal for breaking down these games, that's why you need to be listening to shows like the Ringer Gambling Show or the Ringer NFL Show, is because we're going to share stuff with you that most people aren't discussing. And this is the stuff that will make differences in how you bet slash handicap these games and could provide value. So the penalty situation, the swapping out of referees and the new referee who does not call very many penalties, that is a factor going into this game. The other interesting thing that you mentioned, because I've got other data about this, Bill Vinovich has called six games for Patrick Mahomes. Do you know what the over is in the six games that the ref who hardly calls any penalties is when Patrick Mahomes is under center. I'm going to go out on a limb and call it six and zero. Oh. You're very close. Six and it's five and one to the over. Okay. He doesn't give you the cheap shit. Okay. But he's also not calling the cheap, dumb stuff on your own offense that some guys will call. And so when Patrick Mahomes is back there, these games do tend to go over five and one to the over when Bill Vinovich is the referee. Here's some more context on this game. Now, I encourage you go back and listen to the Wednesday Ringer show. I already broke down and shared a lot of analysis on the stupidity of the Tennessee Titans and their play calling and the decision making and the problems that that caused. And obviously, Kansas City is not going to do that. Go back and listen to it. Don't have time to repeat it here. Too much other good information to share with you here. What I want to go into right now is the context of what the Kansas City Chiefs were dealing with. You mentioned the swap out of all these referees because of COVID. Well, what, what did we notice? This was, a, this was a nationwide issue at this point in time. Still obviously is a nationwide issue in the news, but the NFL has made COVID disappear. I don't know if you know, but Roger Goodell cured COVID. There is no more COVID anymore within the NFL thanks to the rules changes that they implemented. Um, but at this point in time, COVID was sweeping through the NFL, but not in Cincinnati, okay? Because there's nothing to do in Cincinnati as Joe Burrow said. And so nobody in Cincinnati was dealing with COVID, but what the Kansas City Chiefs were dealing with was a major wave of COVID issues that they lost and then gained back a shitload. And I think I mentioned this on the Wednesday show, all these starters, Willie Gay, Chris Jones, Traverius Ward, Lucas Niang, Tyreek Hill, Nick Bolton from COVID, within a week of the game that they played, the Cincinnati Bengals. All those players were healthy and able to play in this game against the Bengals, but probably not 100%. And they just got back Tyree Kill. And, uh, the, sorry, they just got back Travis Kelsey. 
and they just got back. Um, who's another DB? Uh, Fenton, Richard Fenton. They just got back him a couple of days before the game against the Cincinnati Bengals. The other thing that I mentioned on the Ringer Wednesday show, but vital to bring up again, is that think about how difficult it is to deal with your offensive line being mashed up and jumbled up before you're going to play an opponent. When you lose two starters on that offensive line, that is what you would call cluster injuries to your offensive line. If those starters play the week before and then they're out for the next game, that is a fucking disaster for you to try to deal with. It's even more of a disaster if they don't get injured in the game the week before and you don't know that they're going to be out the entire week and you're not dealing with plugging those holes and assigning responsibilities to your backups that entire week and giving them a week of practice. But what happened to the to the Kansas City Chiefs is those guys were lost in this game. In warmups, they fucking lose Orlando Brown. And then on the sixth offensive snap of the game for the Kansas City Chiefs, they lose their left guard, Lucas Niang. So they're down two starters on the offensive line within six snaps that they, when they got off the bus at the stadium from their hotel, they were projecting these guys were both going to be starting the entire game. And now they're all of a sudden gone within minutes of the kickoff. Difficult things to overcome here. Um, I think that the biggest thing for me is, in this game house, can't, Cincinnati Bengals aren't going to like this, but Cincinnati fans are coming out of the woodwork like you didn't know that there were so many Cincinnati fans. It's, what's interesting to me, I'll just say this, like about NFL fan bases, we love the passion, right? We love it. So very I'm thankful. happy for them. Absolutely. Uh, ecstatic. And if I was betting on the Cincinnati Bengals here, which I am not betting on a side in this game at all, at least I have not yet. So don't take it as I'm betting against your team. But if I was betting on the Cincinnati Bengals, if I had a ticket, you know, all these people would be retweeting my shit and loving me for all the props that I'm heaping upon the Cincinnati Bengals because I'm sure I'd be talking about whatever good things that I could about the Cincinnati Bengals, which, I mean, how could you say things negative about Jamar Chase or Joe Burrow? These guys are absolute studs. But what I will say is this, like when when you have a good team that's been good for a while, a la the Patriots, a la the Chiefs, a la, you know, uh, I don't know, a lot of teams in the NFL, the Green Bay Packers, et cetera, and you say some negative things about them, the, the, those fan bases have already heard this before. Like people always like find nits to pick with their teams and they got thick skin and they're used to winning. So it doesn't really matter. It deflects it. When you're a team that hasn't done much and then all of a sudden does something good, like they, the, all these fans have are super sensitive for whatever reason. Like I'm talking about like when the Jacksonville Jaguars made their run in the playoffs like several years ago or the Cincinnati Bengals here or a variety of these other teams. Like the fans get all of a sudden this massive sense of passion about their city, about their team. And if anybody says even the slightest negative thing about them, they get completely riled up like in fanatical ways. And it's just, it's just funny to see. It's very predictable, um, but that's just the way it is. But here's the thing. I've been looking to bet against a specific element of this Bengals team for a while, and that is their defense. Because I think their defense is vastly overrated, and it's for a number of reasons, but I haven't been able to bet against them because the reason I wanted to bet against them has persisted over the last several weeks, and that's They've been playing shitloads of teams that want to run the football, that don't have great quarterbacks, and aren't really good at passing the football. 
And so they haven't been able to really exploit this defense. But almost every single time that the Cincinnati Bengals have played a team who has a good quarterback on an offense that likes to pass the football, that's not a run-first offense, they actually want to utilize this good quarterback and pass the ball frequently, Cincinnati's defense has sucked. They've absolutely sucked. The last couple times that I've looked to do this, there's only been two in like the last half of the season. Justin Herbert in his game against the Cincinnati Bengals. And he absolutely torched them. 9.1 yards per attempt, over 300 passing yards, three touchdowns on early downs. He averages 11.4 yards per pass attempt. Then we looked at a few weeks later, they played the Kansas City Chiefs and we exploited their defense as well. Kansas City scores 28 first half points, should have been at least 31 if Tyreek Hill doesn't drop a wide open pass to end the half. And they would have at least kicked a field goal from there if not scored a touchdown. You also had a kick return touchdown that was nullified due to an offensive holding penalty, or maybe it could have been 35 points. Forget the coulda, woulda, shouldas. They had 28 points on the scoreboard. Kansas City went over their game team total in the fucking first half of the game because the Cincinnati defense is exploitable by good offenses. Now, Cincinnati held them down to only three points in the second half. Cincinnati got a lot of favorable calls. They were able to keep possession of the ball, turn third downs into first downs, as you astutely mentioned, and thus limited the Kansas City Chiefs to, I believe, only three total drives in that second half. One of the three, of course, scored points. This Kansas City Chiefs team, I think, is going to have a ton of options and things to do in order to attack the Cincinnati Bengals defense. They've got the run game, which I think can be successful. They've got the tight end pass game. They've got the outside wide receiver pass game. They've got the screen game. I think all of this stuff is going to have elements of success, especially if the offensive line is much healthier than it was the last time that they played this defense. Uh, And this defense, just for the record, ranked dead last in the NFL since week eight against uh, on explosive passes, passes to gain 20 plus yards. They allowed the highest rate of those since week eight. They've ranked third worst in the NFL on uh, yards per attempt since week eight. And the quarterbacks that they've played since week eight is a hilarious amalgamation of shitty backups, never has-beens, has-beens. It's a travesty of quarterbacks that they've played. So I'm not going to dig into the list, but the bottom line is here, I like the Cincinnati Bengals to have success. Now, what I do think, though, House, is that the Bengals, in either catch-up mode or just keep-up mode, like catch-up mode implies you're down 10 or 14 points. Maybe it's just keep-up mode. Chiefs get up by seven. You try to go down and score two. I, I think the Bengals' offense, as long as they can protect Joe Burrow here, will be able to have some success passing on this secondary. It's a big difference, though. Last week in the game against the Bills, the Chiefs lost two starters in the secondary during the course of the game, right? That that factored into the Bills being able to come back, and the Bills did not have as much success as I anticipated they would have on these runs in medium to short yardage situations to their running back. Tingletary did not have a very good game running the football. So I'm curious to see the offensive strategy from Zach Taylor. Is he going to try to run Joe Mixon or are they going to maybe throw the ball to Joe Mixon more often in the screen game like the Bills did on their first drive? And are they, which the Bills didn't come back to enough in my opinion. 
uh, or are they going to try to run the ball with Joe Mixon? I mean, I think this needs to be a Joe Burrow drop back, pass the ball frequently, spread, spread it five wide. Yes, your O-line will get overwhelmed, but at least you're getting rid of that ball and you're finding receivers to throw it to and then let these guys work in the open field. I think that's the way that you attack this Kansas City Chiefs defense if you're the Cincinnati Bengals. And I do think if they utilize that approach, they will have some success. So I, I really enjoyed uh, the Wednesday show, as I always do, but especially on this point where Solak, you asked him, you put him on the spot, you said, what what does Spags do, right? We we watched what happened, how, how the Bengals had so much success against that Chiefs secondary, especially in the second half. We tried to make Jamar Chase, uh, you know, the, the, the best receiver in the history of the NFL by way of, of, of how they guarded him. And what Solak said is, Spags going to Spags. They're going to play zero coverage. He's going to do it again. And, and, and you know, part of, of the, the Chiefs game plan, at least from, from Solak's surmisal, is that they're going to try, you know, and, and hope that some of those 50-50 balls that the, the Bengals had tremendous success on won't, won't go the Bengals' way. And, you know, that does tee us up for an exciting throw the ball down the field kind of, of situation. Now, I do want to share some of just the gigantic numbers that Patrick Mahomes at home enjoys. It's a lot of the stuff from the homies at the the uh, Action Network. He's seven and one straight up, six and two against the spread in the playoffs. His only straight up loss is to Tom Brady. Uh, looking to avenge a loss against the Bengals, Mahomes has played six games. Looking to avenge a loss to the same team in the same season, he's five and one straight up in the second game. He has twenty three touchdowns and one interception in home playoff games. He's covered six straight home games with an again, ATS margin of almost 12 points per game. Um, it's just incredible. Like you could just keep going, 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 going with all of the accolades of Mahomes at, at home. Um, we've, we've been uh, lucky enough to just enjoy, enjoy this ride. I, I see it continuing this week. Okay. So, we know what you like for this game. Let's pivot. <laughs> let's pivot to the NFC Championship now. The way I want to set up this is, I want you to first just give your picks only for this game. Then I want to talk, and then I want you to come back with your analysis of those picks. So first okay. and foremost, this is the moment Bill Simmons has been waiting for. <laughs> he is dying to know what side you are going to sit on this game, and I do think Bill needs to realize that you are thirteen and seven on your best bets. Now, I don't know that we're going to have your best bet from this game. We we teased that you're going to share that with us later. So first, we got to see what you are looking to do. Don't tell us what your best bet is. You know, like mention it, but don't mention that it is your best bet. Tell us later what yeah. your best bet is. What are your bets here? I like the LA Rams to win this football game outright. I like the San Francisco 49ers to cover the three and a half point spread. And that goes against all the last 14 playoff games. The team that has won has also covered. So this is, I'm, I'm going against that trend. It's a little contrarian. And I like the under. And I really like the under. I might love the under. So those are my side. The okay, LA first Rams let, me, let, me ask, let me ask you the numbers you got. for So Rams money yeah. line, 49ers ATS. Which we're gonna have to we're gonna have to have a little consultation regarding these two bets um, and the under. Did you bet the under already? Yes, I bet the under okay. already. What'd you get on that game? Forty six. 
Okay, 46. Okay, good. So it's trending down to 45 and a half. So at least you you got a better number than the current line is at most spots. Um, and House, <laughs> I, I wanted to drop my analysis here first, but I think we've got to change course here. And, and I got to ask you, what is your logic for Rams money line and Niners plus three and a half? I will say this. Have you bet either of these or, or or have you bet one of them and not the other? Or what is your... The only bets that I've done so far, I, I have involved the Niners in something and it is the best bet, but I'm not, we're not going to talk okay. about it quite yet. Um, what I bet is the Rams money line paired with the under in this game. That's okay. That's, so you I haven't, the you under haven't bet the 49ers bet yet. Parlay. No. So, you, so you bet the Rams earlier and you're, you're, you're buying there your is time a bet to with bet the Niners, the but yes, that's right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but you are planning on betting the Niners ATS at three and a half. Is that you just, it's said just that... the side that I like. I don't know that I'm going to bet oh, okay, that as okay. a standalone. You just okay. were asking for my, my preferences and I was outlining my preferences. Well, I wanted to know what you, what you've bet. So, so you haven't bet the Niners plus three and a half. No. You're going to do something with the Niners later. You're not planning on betting the Niners three and a half. You like the Rams on the money line here. And then you're going to do something else later that involves the Niners, but you're not betting ATS three and a half. That correct? That's a fact. Correct. Okay. You got okay. me. So, so, so I don't have to, I don't have to bring you down. Come to Jesus moment here about, you know, it's one thing if you, it's one thing if you bet like the Niner, the, the Rams money line on Monday, and then that line and the side is two and a half, and then it explodes to three, three and a half, four, and you plan on getting the Niners at four later and like bookending it. Like that strategy is, is something that I could could reason with, but I was anticipating you're sitting here banking on this game falling within the three points, but betting them simultaneously, thus gaining yourself no value because you're hitting the market at the exact same time. Um, that would not have been you optimal. learn You learned me better than that, Sharpie. You learned me better <laughs> than that, buddy. It is remarkable how good a coach can look when he has the right quarterback. Right, I've always talked about this. Coaches are paired with quarterbacks. The quarterbacks are paired with coaches and they're intertwined and interconnected and you can't fully separate them. Some coaches have an offense that just looks a lot better when they finally get the right quarterback in place. And until that quarterback is actually under center, the offense can look pedestrian, if not bad at times. And so that's what we've got in this game. Um, and you might think that I'm talking about Sean McVay finally getting Matthew Stafford, but I'm not. I'm talking about Kyle Shanahan when he gets Jimmy Garoppolo. So I want you at home, on the road, don't go crazy here, pull over, take the red pill with me. I want to free your mind for a second <laughs> as we talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo, in the history of the NFL, ranks number two in yards per attempt and number two in completion percentage with quarterbacks with at least 1,400 passing yards. Since week eight this year, he also ranks number two in EPA per dropback, which is better than every single other quarterback that is playing in the playoffs right now. Better than Patrick Mahomes, better than Matthew Stafford, better than Joe Burrow. In the second half of games over the entire season, guess what else he ranks at number two? In yards per attempt and in percentage of completions that gain 10 plus yards. In the second half of games since just week eight, he ranks number one in both of these metrics. As coach of the 49ers, Kyle Shanahan is eight and 28 
That's 22% with any quarterback not named Jimmy G. And he's 35 and 15, which is 70% when he has Jimmy G. I think that there are a lot of sheep on the internet. And these sheep love to talk about what the common refrain and common narrative is. And the common narrative is Jimmy G sucks. They have to win without him. They have to build around him. He's not going to be able to get it done for them. He's injured. Look how badly he sucks. Oh my God. Did you see him in the cold? He's terrible. Let me just describe something for you guys. I already mentioned a bunch of statistics and I'm sick of the Jimmy G hate. And I'm not going to stand for it any longer. I'm not Put suggesting. It I am not. Su- I am not suggesting that Jimmy G is a great quarterback. I am not suggesting that Jimmy G is elite. I'm not going to go on the Jim Har- uh, the John Harbaugh, Joe Flacco train of trying to rate a quarterback who's not elite as elite just to increase his confidence. We don't need to do that. And I can tell you, yes, you're true. When you're factual, when you look up the stats and you say Jimmy G hasn't even passed for 175 yards in either of his two playoff games, and he hasn't thrown a touchdown in the playoffs, and he's thrown two interceptions, all of that is 100% true. But what I can tell you is this, Kyle Shanahan trusts Jimmy G, Kyle Shanahan relies on Jimmy G, and Kyle Shanahan won't just pass the ball when he absolutely needs to, but he will call pass plays in this game more frequently. So I think it's important for me to first state that, and then I want to walk through the three games real quick with you, House, that were elimination games for the San Francisco 49ers. It started in week 18 against these Rams. And I want to describe why looking at the overall stats is a foolish attempt to denigrate Jimmy G for just the reasons of dancing on his grave because you want some joy out of life because your life itself is so miserable. (laughs) So in the first half of that game against the Rams in week 18, Jimmy G sucked, right? 7.5 yards per attempt. He throws an interception. He has 33% of completions gained 10 plus yards and his EPA is minus 0.27. Not great. In the second half of that game, He's plus 0.32 EPA per uh, per attempt, 11.7 yards per attempt, throws a touchdown, and 70% of his completions gain 10 plus yards. Wow, that seems very different, night and day different. What's going on here? How did he get so much better in the second half? Well, that was his first game back from breaking his thumb. He did not take the pain injection in the first half before the game started. He waited until halftime to take it, and lo and behold, he's much better in the second half. Okay. So now we know the thumb and he can, the thumb hurts. He couldn't take any snaps from under center until late in the third quarter. But now we know that when you inject the thumb before the game, he can play a lot better in that situation. Okay, so stats are good. Second half, let's move on. First half, he goes up to the Dallas Cowboys on the road. First playoff game. What does he do? He gets the injection before the game. What does he do in the first half? Nothing but dominates a team as an underdog and builds a huge lead. Averages plus 0.13 EPA per attempt, 9.5 yards per attempt, 79% completions, and 73% of his passes gain 10 plus yards. Okay, great. So then I assume he rolls it over into the second half of that game. Nope, he doesn't. Minus 0.26 EPA per attempt in the second half, 3.6 yards per attempt, only 46% completions, throws a pick, and only 40% of his yards gained of his completions gained 10 plus yards. So what the fuck happened? Well, what the fuck happened is that one of the last plays of the first half, he falls on his elbow, which dislodges his shoulder and his shoulder is fucked up and is in massive pain in the second half. And he just can't throw the ball very well at all. And his stats sucked in the second half. 
Then we say, okay, we're not sure what he's going to do the next week in Green Bay. Are we even going to get Jimmy G here? He was so bad in that second half. Are we even going to get him here? He's going to take the pain injection to start the game. He's going to go out and play. But look at these conditions. It's fucking snowing. It doesn't look good. This is Aaron Rodgers' home turf. He's built for this. The Packers' offense is built for this. They love hosting a team from California that plays in the sun and the warmth in zero degrees with a quarterback who's got a shoulder and a thumb injury. What ends up happening in this game? Well, Jimmy G's not great in the first half, as could be expected. He rips off all the tape off his thumb. He's like, fuck this shit. I'm going out and playing. And you know what he does in the second half house? I want to compare his stats to Aaron Rodgers in the second half of this game. Aaron Rodgers in the second half of this game, minus 0.27 EPA per attempt, 4.2 yards per attempt, 62% completions, and only 13% of his completions gained 10 plus yards. Jimmy G in the second half, minus 0.13 EPA per attempt. Not great, but better than Aaron Rodgers. 8.8 yards per attempt, 80% completions, and 63% of his completions gained 10 plus yards. Destroys Aaron Rodgers in all of these metrics. And Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback without any of these injuries on his throwing arm and without uh, and with playing in conditions that he's completely comfortable with. So if we want to knock Jimmy G, let's take a shitload of context into what we're talking about here. In this game that he's playing in California, He's not playing in a snowstorm. He's not playing in zero degrees. He injured his thumb on December 23rd. It's been over a month since he first injured his thumb. He's going to be getting his pain injection before the game. And what we have seen when he gets his pain injection, as witnessed by the second half of the game against the Rams in week 18, as witnessed in the first half of the game against the Dallas Cowboys in the wildcard round, he's fucking fine in this offense. He's better than fine in this offense. And if you want to go back and look at what he's done against the Rams, the Rams have allowed over nine yards yards per pass attempt twice this year, twice in games this year. Both of those games were to Jimmy fucking Garoppolo again, the 49ers. And Jimmy G has passed the ball for over 250 yards in every single game that he's played. The Uh, LA Rams defense in his career, except for one game. So you could talk to me all you want about Kyle Shannon having to build his game plan around Jimmy G and all this other type of bullshit that you want to bring. This completely reminds me, House, of the Super Bowl, where in that NFC Championship game, everybody shat on Jimmy G because all Kyle did is run the football against Green Bay Packers and had a shitload of success. And all everybody wanted to talk about is Jimmy G can't throw the ball. Kyle doesn't trust him. They're not going to do anything in the Super Bowl. They can't stand up to Patrick Mahomes. And lo and behold, Jimmy G and Kyle Shanahan come out. Kyle calls the highest pass rate in the Super Bowl that he has called in the playoffs. And Jimmy G plays exceedingly well in the first three quarters of that game, completely, completely outdueling Patrick motherfucking Mahomes the first three quarters of that game. And I don't even want to pull up the stats because it's pretty bad what Patrick Mahomes did in the first three quarters of that Super Bowl and what Jimmy G did. It's not even close in comparison. A blind resume, if you pulled those out, you would assume Jimmy G was the guy who was doing nothing and Patrick Mahomes was the guy with ridiculous stats. Fourth quarter, Jimmy G missed a deep bomb to Emmanuel Sanders. Patrick Mahomes pulls out Wasp and wins the game and outduels Jimmy G in that in that fourth quarter. But I just got to tell you that I'm looking forward to this game. I'm looking forward to how much Jimmy G throws the football here. And I'm looking forward to seeing all the people who hated on Jimmy G, what their reaction is after this game. 
So that that's amazing. And I can't wait for us to finish and me to plow into the props market and find every single Jimmy G over that I can find. And, no, and- keep waiting, keep waiting, keep waiting, <laughs> keep waiting, because, <laughs> because I think people still are hating on Jimmy G and this narrative is going to persist. I guess once this podcast gets out, maybe some people will go against the grain. But like I said, House, you don't make any money betting on what they're saying on SportsCenter and what every Tom, Dick, and Harry are saying on Twitter. Like, that is not the way to make money. The way to make money is to find out things that you view football from a different lens and you can attack a different element of the game that all the other people are attacking the same element. And right now, everybody just thinks Jimmy G absolutely sucks, except for someone with two thumbs. His name is this guy right here. <laughs> well, look, well, well, it does dovetail nicely with one of the things that I had prepared for this show, which is my, my curiosity. And I, I honestly haven't been able to come up with the answer. Why is this lined for the Rams to be favored by three and a half? Why isn't the line two and a half? Where's the extra point coming from? Is it the Jimmy G antipathy? Is that really the the, the sole uh, explanation for, for why... This isn't just a regular old, you know, home team advantage situation. Well, it shouldn't be a regular team home field advantage situation. I talked to a bookmaker the other day who said they were giving a home field advantage of one and a half points here for the Rams. And I don't think that there should be anything more than maybe a half a point, if that, for the Rams. This is going to be a pro 49ers crowd, in my opinion, here. And the 49ers just played in the stadium three weeks ago. And it was not on familiar territory. Fine, fine, right. So where the hell is this number coming from? I think exactly as you said, it's 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 in part because we believe Jimmy G doesn't hold a candle to Matthew Stafford and games come down to quarterbacks and you saw the Rams get out huge against the Bucks last week and win in impressive fashion. And the night before, you saw the 49ers do absolutely nothing in Green Bay and have to win the game thanks to a blocked field goal, a blocked punt. And, you know, it's like this team can't can't win against a team that can high fly score like the Rams can. And so this line did open early at like Rams minus four when the Bucks were down 27 to three, I believe, to the Rams last Sunday. And then as the Bucks came back, we started to see some Niners money that dropped the line from four down to three and a half. And some spots touched three and then came back to three and a half. But that's kind of how we're sitting here. It's recency bias, it's perception, and it's like a belief that there is home field advantage here that needs to be accounted for. Okay. Well, it's a wonderful opportunity for value. I know based on what you just went through with with just the Jimmy G side of it, but on the other side of the ball, what D'Amico Ryan has been doing on, on defense has been absolutely fantastic. The Niners are a defensive team, notwithstanding the tough position that they were put in defensively against Dallas. I'm I'm fine with, you know, treating it, they're, they're, they have a, a multivariant attack. They are strong across in, in all three phases of the game. And, and the one thing that, that folks, the, the funny thing with Jimmy G is our eyes deceive us. And, and Solak shared that funny vignette where, you know, he, he was sitting watching the, the game with his wife and she walks in and says, I'll oh, tell me about Jimmy G. And he starts saying, well, you know, um, on the one hand, bunch of efficiencies, you know, good stuff, but, 
um, people are very skeptical of him because he throws wobblers. And in that moment, he throws a wobbler. And, you know, the, the whole Twitter sphere is filled with, you know, risky throw, Jimmy, risky, risky, risky throw, Jimmy, because he doesn't look great in the snow and the freezing cold and, you know, California boy and, and all that stuff. Um, but, you know, what Shanahan has done to address and offset and, you know, build a, a fully balanced, fully conceived offensive attack. I think it does set up really well. And I'm glad that you shared, um, the, the, the confidence inspiring confidence inducing particular success of Jimmy G throwing the ball against the Rams. God, this is going to be rich. I'll wait. I'll wait. Cause the numbers will get better. I understand what you're saying, but I'm, I might have to t- jump in a tiny bit today. Just a tiny bit. I have an appetite. Here's the thing. Going on the road, four straight games like this, all of them elimination games, it's super hard to to, to win all four. And that's the reason why I'm on that Rams money line. These two teams know each other. These two coaches know each other. The numbers are all across the board. The whole internet is filled with how uh, much success Shanahan has had against McVay. Is Shanahan McVay's daddy? Probably. I mean, you know, the record kind of speaks for itself. Um, I love the under in this game because I think that, you know, the, the, the familiarity of these two teams, especially having just played will tend to, um, you know, tr- ball control kinds of, of game planning and especially on the San Francisco side of things. And so, you know, the, uh, Shanahan trying to get seven minute drives, eight minute drives, that makes a ton of sense to me. And that's a, that's a good factor for an under here. And I also think that McVeigh is going to try to minimize putting Stafford in those positions where he's throwing because he has a bunch of interceptions against the Rams. He's just not good against the, the I mean, against the uh, the Niners. The nine, D'Amico's got something with Stafford figured out. So my, I love the extra points that we're getting out of this situation. It feels like the the line could be one and a half or two or two and a half. Give me the three and a half. That's why I like that. That San Francisco so then, well, why, side. why, 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 how can you love the Rams on the money line enough to lay that juice that you did? What, what did you lay? It's like minus one eighty right it's now. I'm not sure. It's a pure contrarian play. It's a pure contrarian okay. play. That's it. That's it. It's a, it's a basic regression analysis. It's not any more complicated than that. My favorite bet. Are we doing my favorite bet? Is it? Time? Yes. Yes. My favorite Let's... bet on the board. Um, bar none, and it's probably maybe the squarest bet of this entire season, 2021-2022 season, is teasing the Chiefs from the 7.5 or the 7 down to uh, 1 or 1.5, along with the Niners from the 3.5 up through 9.5. By far my favorite bet on the board, the favorite uh, opportunity that's, that's sitting there. It's minus 110. I am plowing into that teaser. Now, the only thing I will say, I've noticed some of these books out there, and I'm not naming any names, but we were talking about this in the chat uh, with Simmons and Solak and you, you know, be very creative with as you look to bet on games. This is your money, folks. You have to come up with the right ways to spend your own money. And some books will give you, quote unquote, shortcuts as ways to bet different things. Oh, well, they've got this or this teaser. It's really easy to just bet this or combine this, or they've already got the pre-laid out combinations. There's other ways to sometimes bet things 
that will pay out better. Um, and so as you be patient and gain more experience in this marketplace, you might still be able to make the same types of bets, but not necessarily the easiest ones that the books are offering right on their homepage. Um, and so there are other ways to, to play a teaser like this house. You and I discussed it. We won't get into the details of it here. Um, so that is your best bet. That will put your 13 and seven record on the line, looking to increase that to 67% winners if you take it up to 14 Let's and go! seven. Let's go. And that's, that's got to be your best year that you've been doing for a best bet, is it? Oh, is for it not? sure. It's not even close. So, I mean, you know, we we have, I've been doing a type of best bet for, for a very long time. I've only had the pleasure of being on the air, the internet with you for a couple of years now, but let's, let's keep this going. Yeah. I mean, and, and likewise, it's been my best season that I've had, uh, this year in terms of just the, the wins and the record in the playoffs is absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and share, um, the strongest bet that I took so far this week, um, just to give you guys some extra love here be very forthright and just say, I took over 30 and a half points for the Kansas City Chiefs. That is the most direct way to bet against the Cincinnati Bengals defense. And so that's what I was looking to do. I wanted to find a way to bet against the Cincinnati Bengals defense because I believe that they are overrated and have not been exposed thanks to the offenses that they've played. That is the most direct way. So that's what I took. Um, I've got a couple of other things up my sleeve that I haven't bet yet that I will be. I've got a bunch of props that I'm looking forward to getting out there uh, that I have not done yet. So I'm looking forward to sharing those. Uh, you'll be getting those house. And again, if anybody wants to join, it's Sharp 150, gets you 150 off. Um, but I think we're in store for a great weekend house. It's not going to live up to what it did last week. It's not going to come close in my opinion because last week, just every single game was, it was almost like that, uh, Vince McMahon meme. Have you seen the Vince McMahon meme where he's at like one of the wrestling events and he starts getting a little bit happy and then he gets surprised and then he gets shocked and then is like got smoke coming out of his ears. <laughs> like every single one is, that's what last week's games were, right? Yes. We're not going to be able to get that. There's only two games this week. Both of them are on Sunday, but I think it's going to be phenomenal entertainment. I think it's going to be exciting. It's going to be compelling. And I don't even want to start talking about the Super Bowl yet. No, the Super Bowl, it's not time. It, let, let's not even discuss any any what we're looking forward to or potential matchups. Let's embrace and enjoy the last two games that we've got before we've got two weeks to wait. Kansas City Barbecue and San Francisco Mission Burritos. Let's have some food. So how's your food journey been going? Pretty good? It's great. We're down to our Super Belly Bowl. It is probably not going to be a surprise to anybody that the Philly cheesesteak is up against the Buffalo wing. Those are the two that, that, that came out of each conference. Now, we are having a consolation bracket next week. Some of the foods that got skipped over, we're putting the lobster roll on the line. We have uh, um, some brisket tacos from Dallas coming in. We have the Permanti sandwich from Pittsburgh. We want to give that a second chance. So we're 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 gonna go ahead and 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 you know try and, and give some of these cities an extra consideration. But so so who plug, could the, argue plug with, the go ahead. plug the name of the plug the name of the pod again real quick. It's House sign. of Carbs on the Ringer Food Channel. You can find uh, just by typing in the Google uh, Ringer Food and House of Carbs. Let's 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 have some delicious uh, food this week. Yeah, so everybody go sign up for that. I've been plugging some stuff over at Sharp Football Analysis. We we need to be plugging houses, house of carbs. Uh, 
If you love hearing about food and having it analyzed and, you know, getting recommendations, I highly suggest you guys subscribe to that podcast as well. House, best of luck in moving to 14 and seven on your best bets. Uh, obviously, let, let's see how your how Bill Simmons takes your analysis of your bet, <laughs> betting selections here in terms of whether that bodes better for him in his betting selections or not. Uh, but that'll do it, guys. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next Wednesday with Ben Solak. This is going to be a big one. We're going to dive into the Super Bowl. I'll try to give you some early bets to make. Thanks to Joe House for joining me today. Thanks to Mike Wargon and Craig Holbrecht for producing the show. We will see you guys on Wednesday. Good luck this weekend. 